Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today is a really great episode with a great guest, y'all. Evian Whitney is here, and we are diving in to all things sexuality, sensuality, and pleasure. Sit back, grab a motherfucking cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my god. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not in chapter six. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. All right, y'all. I cannot wait to get into this episode. Evian Whitney is an incredible human. I had such a wonderful time interviewing them. They are a sexuality doula and a sex educator that helps people release shame and really step back into their power of their sexuality, which I think is so freaking important because so often with how we grow up and society and all the bullshit that like people inflict on us. There's so much shame that becomes associated with our sexuality and our sensuality and being able to like experience pleasure. And I love the way they spoke about this and how knowledgeable they were. It's a re some really powerful shit, you guys. It's really good. So we're going to be talking about how to let the shame in your sexuality go, whether that's from society, your upbringing, religion, whatever, how to really let that shame go and step back into your own power of your sexuality. We're also going to talk about how to be sex positive as opposed to sex negative because they are two totally different things that are very, very real and how to unlearn some of those toxic beliefs that we were taught that informed our sexuality growing up. I do want to make everyone aware there is a trigger warning. We do talk about sexual assault and how sexual assault survivors then deal with moving forward in their own sexuality and sexual trauma. And this was really interesting because Evian speaks from personal experience about that. We're also going to talk about what is asexuality, what it means to be asexual and how to identify that. We're going to break down some of the myths and the stigmas around it and the flexibility that really exists within someone who identifies as asexual. Is sexuality a fixed thing that you're born with or can it change throughout your life? We're going to get into that. How to get more pleasure in your life and the relationships with pleasure and yourself and really discovering what pleasure even means to you apart from just sex because it's not just sex. And I think that's a big misconception that people go through life thinking pleasure equals sex and that is not necessarily the case. We're also going to talk about the pressure of having an orgasm during sex and how to redefine the purpose and the intentions of that and how to really take the pressure off, which is a fucking game changer, I can tell you from my personal experience. Also, we all know about foreplay, but what is afterplay? And are you doing it? Because if not, you should be. I cannot wait to get into this episode. There's so much good shit in here. So let's dig in. 
Devion. Welcome to FML Talk. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Can you start with just giving us a little bit of background on what it is you do, how you came to start doing it? Because I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah, I am a sexuality doula. And as a sexuality doula, I am a companion and guide for folks who are in transition from being in sexual shame or sexual trauma and wanting to get into sexual liberation and healing, whatever that looks like for them. Oh, that's so interesting and specific, but so needed in our world today because there's so much shame around being a sexual being for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like we're born that way. Yeah. So what do you think it is that has caused that? Is it society that mostly makes us feel that way? I think it's a bunch of different things, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's society. I think we live in a world that is simultaneously sex obsessed mm-hmm. as well as sex negative. Mm-hmm. So it's like this weird place to land where you're like, I mean, I and I can just speak for myself. Like I have felt that I'm supposed to be a raunchy sexual being. Right. But to a certain extent, Mm. um, I'm not allowed to access that. So I think that there's that confusion of, you know, sex obsessed and also sex negative. I think it's a lot of intergenerational things that get passed down. Mm. So I'm thinking about like what our mothers and our fathers taught us about sex and our bodies, what their mothers and fathers taught them about sex and and their bodies. And looking at the through line there, it's a lot has changed Mm -hmm. like over the years. Like even my mom you know, who's in her 70s now. Sorry, mom. And me, like there's there's things where she'll be like, oh my God, that's that's a lot. You yeah, know? yeah. Same. I mean, same with my mom. I've had her on the podcast before and it was really interesting to listen to her story and like how she was taught about sex and her body. Mm. And hearing that, it made a lot of sense as to why she taught me the things that she did about sex in my own body. Right. And then there's also this other piece of just like, religious shame, religious Mm -hmm. trauma. I mean, even for folks who don't grow up in a super religious home, like we know what it feels like. Yeah. Um, We we know not to be a slut and we know not to be sexually promiscuous. So I think it comes from it comes from a lot of different areas. Yeah. What can you define what sex negative is? Sex negative is basically you are someone or you have your system with certain values that do not find sex to be a good thing or certain aspects of sexual identity are seen as as not being good or healthy or worthy of expression. Mm. So I'm thinking of things like, you know, I was raised in a pretty strict Christian home. And so while sex was on the one hand heralded as this really beautiful thing between a man and a wife who were married, there was also this other piece where it was like, don't have sex until you're married. Right. And if you occupy any curiosity about your sexuality, you're going to hell. You mm. know, my origin story is that I signed a purity contract when I was eight. And Wait, that like what? Yeah. When you were eight. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like, what am I even signing? <laughs> like what's yeah. sex and what does that mean? I'm I not didn't really doing. have a, a concept of what I was actually signing, but I understood I knew the implications of like what was going on. Right. Like if I sign this, I am good. Oh, and if wow. I don't sign this, I am bad. Mm. So like those those are examples of sex negativity where it's like like I wasn't given any sort of talking to about the importance of, you know, sexual autonomy, Mm. you know, this idea that like we are sexual beings, some of us, and 
it's okay for us to be curious about that. Right. You know, it's okay for us to access that in ways that feel safe for mm-hmm. us. If I had gotten conversations about that, I think I would have turned out a lot different. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of my listeners and readers that'll DM me and they're like, you know, I went through a pretty brutal sexual assault because I didn't have those educational talks growing up. Yeah. And if I would have had those talks, I would have been able to be more aware and educated and protect myself from what happened more. So I'm interested, did the purity contract, which is this is the first time I've ever even I've heard of purity rings, but this is like really interesting. Yeah. Was that brought to you by your parents, by a church, by it was brought to me by our church. So we were in a church setting and yeah, the contracts came out. It's basically the same concept as a purity ring. It's just a little different in that it is a signed document. It almost looks like a certificate that you get. Oh, wow. And it says, you know, some language about, you know, I will remain abstinent until marriage. You know, my virginity will remain pure, whatever. And the pastor signs it and then your father co-signed it. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so interesting. Not the mother mm-hmm. co-signing, the father co-signing. Yeah. Wow. A lot of layers in there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so at what age did you get to where you're like, hmm, maybe I like don't want to wait till marriage and like, what the fuck was that contract? Yeah. So spoiler alert, the contract did not stick. <laughs> spoiler alert. I tore that shit up. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, it got stolen. They gave us like laminated versions. So we had like a certificate. <laughs> so you can't rip it up. <laughs> yeah. So they gave us a certificate, like a regular piece of paper. And then they gave us like small laminated versions of the cards so that we oh, can put it in our wallets. My God. And um, when I was in school, my purse got stolen. And I don't know what happened to the actual certificate. I maybe my dad has it or something. I don't know. But I remember feeling like the sadness of, you know, having my purse stolen, but also being like, oh, cool. I don't have that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was 15 when I decided to have sex for the first time and was really young, but I didn't feel that I was at the time. Mm-hmm. I was with someone who, and this is, you know, sort of the games that we play that we sort of like skirt around the rules i was like well i i fell in love with this boy we're gonna get married Mm. so like we've made this commitment to each other to be together forever and that makes me feel like it's okay for me to access sexuality with this person yeah and very similar to what you were talking about about you know people who have dm'd you about you know their sexual assaults and how if they had gotten education they probably would have not had a different outcome, but maybe would have been able to handle it a little differently. Very similar to me, because I got no education around what a healthy sexual relationship Mm. looked like. I was in a relationship that was very coercive when it came to sex. Mm. And so a lot of what I learned in my formative years of being like sexually active was my body didn't belong to me. My no was not to be honored or listened to, and that I am meant to be sort of like a vessel for my partner's pleasure. And like, that's all that there was. Yeah. And that's brutal to learn that at such a young age and be instilled with that. Absolutely. And then also thinking about like, that just felt normal to me. Like my body was screaming. My body was like, this doesn't feel right. But Mm. there was no one in my community, no one that I was, you know, talking to that was like, this is actually not okay behavior. This isn't something that you should be engaging in. Mm -hmm. So I just assumed that like, that's just what sex was. Right. And sort of walked away being like, wow, this kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Why is my my church and my parents always telling me to stay abstinent? Like, because it's so beautiful and pure for me, it just felt like really, it just felt really painful. Mm. 
Yeah. Was the person that you were with first older than you? By a year. So we, okay. were, we were both babies, yeah. you know, and I, I really feel that we were just trying to emulate adulthood mm -hmm. and also emulate maturity that we saw within our own family dynamics. Yeah. We thought we were grown and we were not. As you do in yeah. high school. I was uh -huh. also, I was 15 and a half when I lost my virginity. My boyfriend at the time was 17 and just turned 18. My mom still holds a grudge against that. But <laughs> Nowadays, it, which is so sad to say, like that's not that young for kids today. Like it's happening at like 12, 13, which is, I mean, yeah. shocking to yeah. me. When, when, I, when I had sex for the first time, I felt like I was a late bloomer because mm -hmm. a lot of the people that I was around had had sex when they were 13. That's insane yeah. to so, me. Yeah. So hearing about it now, like as I'm an adult telling the story and I've told this story many times, like 15 feels so young. Yeah. And so the idea that like I felt that I was old, right. <laughs> you know, having sex for the first time is just, it's wild. Right. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So you talk a lot about asexuality hmm. and being asexual. Can you give us a little bit of background for people that don't know necessarily what that is? Because I feel like it's not widely talked about. Like there's murmurs about it everywhere. I'm very aware of what it is, but I'd like yeah. people listening to get a better idea and understanding of that. Yeah. Yeah. Asexuality is a sexual orientation that describes folks who feel little to no sexual attraction, little to no sexual desire. And it's also an umbrella term. So asexuality can be described for people underneath that umbrella who are demisexual, who are aromantic, who are gray asexual. So there's a lot of different identities underneath it. I think one of the things that, I mean, and I'm a sex educator, I've been doing this for 12 years, and I had a lot of misunderstandings about what asexuality was. Mm -hmm. And I think in our culture, we hear asexual and we think that person doesn't want to have sex, is sort of repulsed by sex, mm -hmm. has zero sexuality. Yeah, doesn't want to be touched. Doesn't want to be yeah. touched and is an incapable somehow of having a relationship 
romantic, intimate, physical relationship with other people. And there are definitely asexual folks who fall within that line. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what asexuality is, as I'm finding out as someone who identifies as ace and is in community with aces, is that there's a lot more flexibility and fluidity within that identity. Mm -hmm. That it's not just black or white, you're either sexual or you're not sexual. It's like there are different ways to occupy your sexuality or different things that might have to fall in line in order for you to access intimacy or romance Mm. or sex with somebody. And that's kind of my experience. I don't really experience sexual attraction. I mean, sometimes it happens and then I'm like, oh, that's a weird sensation. But typically sexual attraction is not really something that I experience. I also don't really, I don't have a high sexual libido. And I know that there are some asexual folks who have really high libidos. Oh, interesting. But I am one of those ace folks that uh, doesn't really have a a high libido. And so sex generally is not on my radar. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about asexuality is that we have pathologized ace folks so much to the extent that if like you don't have sexual desire, if your libido is low, the way that our culture works is like, okay, well, you need to get on a pharmaceutical. Right. Or there's something wrong with you. Like there's a hormonal imbalance or you need to seek therapy. You need to heal. And that was another part of my journey. It was having to realize, and this was pretty recently actually, that I realized that I was asexual mm-hmm. because I'd spent so long within that framework of like, oh, but sex is a natural, healthy part of a human right. being. And if I don't have a high libido and if I'm not experiencing sexual attraction the way everybody else around me says that they're experiencing it, there's something wrong with me or I just haven't healed enough. Mm. And these days I'm really settling into the fact that like, just as it's okay for people to be different versions and expressions of themselves, like people are not a monolith, my sexuality is not a monolith. Mm. And it's okay for me to have variance within my sexuality and yeah, to talk about it in ways that also feel nourishing for other folks who have yeah. the same experience. I feel like if people were given permission to not think the opposite sex needed sex mm-hmm. in their life, like a lot more people would probably lean more into being asexual. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. It's it's actually something that I hear quite a bit as I talk about my ace journey on the internet, I'll get women identified folks who are like, what you're experiencing sounds just like a regular degular marriage. Right, right. (laughs) And like, I hear that. And also, I want to like, call in the fact that like, that is very dismissive of asexual people, like not all aces are straight and not all aces are with the opposite sex. Right. And what I like about this asexual movement that's happening and sort of the education that's coming up is that I feel that even if you don't identify as ace, we're creating a pathway for folks to just be okay, whoever they are, as mm-hmm. sexual beings. Yeah. So that if you are a straight, cis, hetero woman in a relationship with a guy and you don't really have sexual desire, like that can be okay. Right. You know, and it's not about overriding your body. It's about like, how can I be in connection and yeah. conversation with it? How do you think, because I know there's so many women listening that's like, that's me. I'm the cis woman that's like in a relationship <laughs> with a man that doesn't want to have sex. How do you determine like if that means you're leaning more in towards asexuality or if you're maybe with the wrong person? That is an excellent question. And I wish I had the answer. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it really it depends on a person's experience. And I think 
I'm, I'm just thinking of this like hypothetical person and like if they were sitting in front of me, I would have so many questions, Yeah, you know? like and Yeah, it's so like dependent on the situation. Of yeah, the person. it's it's so dependent upon the context. It's dependent upon the relationship, you know? Like I've been in space with clients where this has come up, where they're like, I don't know if I'm ace or if I'm just like not attracted to my partner and I don't right. want to be in this relationship. And so there are a series of questions that I ask about like, you know, do you feel safe in mm. your relationship? You know, like generally not in a sense of like, are you afraid that your partner is going to abuse you? But like, does your body feel like it can soften in the presence of your partner? Mm. You know, do you yeah. feel like you're armoring or guarding yourself from your partner? If the answer to that is yes, then maybe, I mean, there's other things that I can ask about that too. Yeah. And it's uh, also, I would assume like looking at your history, like, Sure. Have you always felt like this in relationships? Were there relationships with certain individuals that like you were like ready to jump their bones all the time? Mm -hmm. So that probably I think would play into it as well. Yeah. I mean, sexuality is really, really complicated. I think we look at sexuality as it is a fixed thing that you are born with and that never changes. Very mm -hmm. similar to gender, to right, be perfectly right. honest. Yeah. But the reality is that as we age, as our hormones fluctuate, as we move in different transitions in our life, as we have different partners and mm -hmm. friends and community, our sexuality is going to change. Yeah. Like our, our capacity to be in that sexual space is going to change. Our partners are also changing along with us. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest part of my work is just really inviting folks to see their sexuality as fluid, even if they are straight as an arrow and they'll never like go into queer land, which I mean, it's so fun. Come over here. <laughs> It's a blast. <laughs> um, but even even if they know that they are straight and they are cis, like really allowing themselves to be in this space of fluidity, to be mutable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, with with their sexuality and as as well as, you know, the relationship with that. Yeah. I saw a clip from an interview that you did where you said this might be an unpopular opinion, but we're all a little queer in some way. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, this just goes with the philosophy that I have about all of us are nuanced, multiplicitous human beings that we are, we have so many layers and so many nuances. And I think that a lot of us feel like we have to be one thing all the time. But when we peel back the layers of the labels that have been put on us and the sort of restrictions or, you know, the ways that we should be, mm -hmm. I'm suspecting that a lot of us have a little bit more flexibility within our sexual expressions and our orientations. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I've ever met someone who is 100% straight, you know? Yeah. Like maybe they're 98%. Right. But that's, I mean, 98%. Yes. <laughs> we still got two. We still, still got, got two percent, <laughs> right? So I I mean, and you know, there might be folks that are just like, no, I've I've examined this, I've thought about it, I've talked about it, I know that I'm straight. That's great. Like mm -hmm. I'm not trying to override people's natural understanding or um experience with themselves. But I have seen a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm straight because that's what culture told me right. I should be. Yeah. Or, oh, I'm I'm a woman because that's what culture told me I should be. Like I should present myself in this way and I should move my body in this way. And then I've been noticing a lot of people that I've been talking to who can access a little bit more fluidity within their gender, within their sexuality, and maybe not act on it. Maybe they're not like in a queer relationship, mm -hmm. but they can at least honor 
the nuances of their sexuality and hold right. space for the fact that they're just not one binary thing. Yeah, totally. And I think that's starting to be more and more the new norm in mm-hmm. our world today, which is really nice to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about you do this thing, which is kind of similar to what I call the self-love cocktail in my book, which is basically like writing down a list of things that set your soul on fire and Mm. make you really, really happy. But you do it in the form of pleasure, which I think is really fucking cool. Um, (laughs) So can you talk to me about what that kind of technique is? Yeah. Something that I talk about a lot in my work is just really wanting to liberate folks within their own bodies and create an understanding illiteracy of what pleasure feels like. And by pleasure, I just mean what it feels like to feel good in your body. And also like trying to demystify pleasure. I Mm -hmm. think often we hear that word and our mind immediately goes to sex. Yeah. And that is wonderful. Sex can be really pleasurable. But I'm really interested in the different ways that we can access pleasure, feeling good in our body that is outside of the sexual realm. Mm -hmm. And so I speak to a lot of folks and just really invite them to think about what relationship they have with feeling good in their bodies. And oftentimes they are like, oh, I don't really have a relationship with pleasure or I use pleasure as a reward. You know, Mm -hmm. like if I work a 10 hour day and I have starved myself and I have not listened to my body at all, at the end of the day, that's when I'll give in and give myself a cupcake or a glass of wine or whatever. And I want for us to be in a collaborative relationship with pleasure. And I want us to access it not from a means of like, I deserve this because I worked really hard, but like, I deserve this because I'm a soft body that thrives when I can feel good in my body. And so one of the ways, you know, we talk about pleasure a lot, or at least I I hear talk about pleasure a lot. It's like, it's in my circle as a sexuality doula and as a sex educator, everybody's talking about pleasure and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And what's been really frustrating for me about this is that, you know, I'm hearing a lot of language of like, prioritize your pleasure and your pleasure is so powerful and take your pleasure seriously. But nobody's actually guiding people into like what it looks like for them to right. access that, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of us are cut off from pleasure or a lot of us don't even understand how pleasure resonates in our own body. Yeah. And so this practice of sitting down and identifying the things that make our body feel good from a senses place, from an emotional place that has some to do with sex, but more so to do with like when I am moving throughout my day, what is something that I reach for that gives me comfort Mm. or what is something that soothes me or makes me soften or puts a smile on my face, like really putting that down on a list. And then once you have that master list, like looking at that list every day and being like, okay, I'm going to pick one thing, at least one thing today that I'm going to do for the sake of pleasure. And it has nothing to do with reward. It has nothing to do with like trying to hit a goal. It's pleasure for pleasure's sake, you know? And I think even more than that, it's not even just about showing up to that practice with like, okay, I did the thing. Like, can you sink into pleasure? Yeah. Like if your pleasure is smelling flowers, like can you really allow your whole body to be present with that? And maybe it only takes 10 seconds, mm-hmm. you know, but really giving yourself that permission to savor that experience. Yeah. I think so often because of 
the way that we've grown up in society, it's like pleasure is directly linked to sex or mm-hmm. some form of intimacy. So the things that you're talking about writing on this list can be so far from that. Can you give some examples of like what would be on yours? Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many things on my <laughs> list. Yeah. Things, simple pleasures for me are, you know, sitting in the sun mm. and like feeling the sensation of warmth and heat on my skin. Yeah. You're like, I have a whole book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually in the process of writing a book about about pleasure and oh, sensuality. Breath has been really, really powerful for me to access feeling good in my body. Mm-hmm. I notice a lot of us are shallow breathers. And I mean, makes sense. We live in a world that doesn't encourage us to slow down and breathe deeply, mm-hmm. you know? So breath has been a really great invitation for me to access not even just feeling good in my body, but just like feeling my body. Yeah. You know, I'm a huge pastry person. (laughs) I love pastry. I jokingly tell people that the way to my pussy is through pastry. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) I love any baked good, anything that you can (laughs) put in the oven. Gotta give me the pee to get the pee. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so, I, so yeah. Pastries of any kind, cookies, cakes. Yeah. 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 And like when I allow myself to eat something that is sugary and chocolatey and crunchy or um, flaky, I'm like really taking my time to Mm. experience like, oh, this feels so good and it tastes so yummy. Oh, I love that. That's like a good glass of wine for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I suspect that once we sit down and actually do this exercise, a lot of things are going to come through that don't resonate on the sexuality or erotic scale. I've had clients say that like, seeing their child smile Mm. gives them pleasure, you know, or playing with their dog or cooking a meal and sharing it with other people. Yeah. Like it can be a platonic pleasure. Yeah. So just like really allowing. And, you know, if if the word pleasure, it trips people up because it is a word that has a lot of connotation and a lot of people can't really feel themselves into that word because they're like, it still feels like sex to me. Just think about what does it mean to feel good in my body? Mm Yeah, because that's what that's what pleasure is at the end of the day. Totally. Let's talk about the pressure of orgasms. Mm. (laughs) You're like, yes, (laughs) because we've talked about on the show before that, like, I think it's 70 percent of women can't, you know, come just from a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Like um, I am the 70 percent and how much stigma there is around the pressure to have an orgasm. Mm. And I think now, finally, there's a lot of talk where men are realizing like, oh, I actually have to like ask if they reached that point like mm-hmm. because just for me doing this, they might not have. Yeah. Um, and it's becoming a more talked about subject. So what do you feel is the reason we feel so pressured to have an orgasm with sex? I think that we have equated sex with orgasm, that we have sort of seen that the whole point, the whole purpose of sex is the grand finale right. of the orgasm. And like, hey, orgasm's great. <laughs> like, I get it. I understand why folks would want that to be at the center of their sexual experience. But what I've noticed with folks that I've worked with is that putting orgasm at the center of their sexual experience puts a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on the experience of sex as a whole. Yeah. Because they're up in their brain going, am I going to have an orgasm? Is this going to result in an orgasm? Why haven't I come yet? We've d- been doing this for however many minutes. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's been down there for 20 minutes already. Right. I got to hurry up. Right. Or like, I should be orgasming from, you know, this sort of stimulation I did yesterday. Why am I not right. doing it today? So again, like I, so much of the work that I do is about just giving ourselves grace and space mm-hmm. and um, thinking about like, 
you know, what would it look like if you took orgasm off the table? Mm. Or that feels like too much of a leap because I can feel people being like, oh my God, I'm allowed to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Having sex as though that is the main attraction Mm -hmm. and really allowing yourself to feel into, and you can do this with yourself as well. It doesn't have to be with a partner, but really allowing yourself to like linger over your own touches Mm -hmm. or the experience of feeling your body against somebody else's body. Like what if that was the orgasm? I'm willing to bet that if we decentered orgasm from our sexual experiences, we would be more embodied, like we would be more in our body. Mm -hmm. Because that's one of the things that I hear from a lot of the folks that I've worked with is that the hindrance to being able to have the best sex of their lives is they're in their head too much. Yeah, They're thinking. And oftentimes, I mean, they're thinking about to-do lists and they're thinking about groceries and they're thinking about their car or whatever. <laughs> but they're also thinking about like, am I going to come? Should I? Oh, why am I? You know, like there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Right. And so part of the work that I'm trying to do is just like inviting people to like inhabit their body more. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that can be by slowing down and also decentering orgasm from the equation. And I just like to offer that to folks to just like try it. Yeah. And see see what's different about that, right. you know? And maybe if you're having a conversation with someone or if you're in relationship with someone, you guys can sit down and say like, "Hey, you want to try just like fucking as if the orgasm didn't exist and just like see what's different about that." You never yeah. have to do it again if you don't want to. Yeah. But I'm willing to bet that it will be a totally different experience. Yeah. And I think it's super important to have that line of communication open with whether it's your partner, whoever you're having sex with. Because I've been with partners in the past that made me, whether it was like intentional or not, made me feel pressured to have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And that made it even worse Mm -hmm. and was like, well, now I'm just going to fake it and like, we'll move on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had a conversation, many conversations with my partner. We've been together for like 15, 16 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, a long, long ass time. This was um, not the purity no, contract no, breaking we, man. <laughs> we we broke up. Okay. <laughs> found a new one. He is amazing. I oh, love that. Um, but yeah, I've had multiple conversations with him to be like, I'm actually okay if I don't have an orgasm tonight. Yeah. Oh, me too. Like all when my boyfriend or now fiance and I, when we get into bed, I'm like, just so you know, like, not gonna happen tonight but let's go (laughs) and i also give him permission to do that as well because i think like there's an other aspect of this too the pressure that we as women and femme identified folks feel men are feeling that too right you know so i want to be able to create a space within our sexual relationship where my partner if he doesn't want to have an orgasm that's cool yeah like it's not gonna bum me out it's not gonna you know drop me into my head and being like am i not enough like did i do something wrong if we have that open communication and we are on the same page about like for me sex is not so much about the orgasm it's about connection Mm -hmm. and if i can connect with my partner in this intimate way where we're naked and rolling around and exchanging fluids like that can be enough yeah you know yeah and it's okay if that's enough and even just like laying there and kissing and touching yeah. and not having it go past that. I feel like so totally. many people, especially like I know I've felt this in the past. Like it's like if you start making out and like start, you know, heavy petting, then mm-hmm. it has to lead to sex. Yeah. And it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And being with my partner now who's been like, hey, we can just like lay here and make out and that's fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to like get all crazy and lead to anything has taken like that pressure off of me. And it's created a lot of really special moments where we can just Mm. do that and not have to have this big end result. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what helps about this is being in a relationship where a partner is 
sweet and soft with you. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of way of being in a relationship is really hard to access if your partner is a dick, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like, even in these conversations that I have with people about like, your safety, your softness, your being taken care of in a relationship matters. And if the thought, even if people are listening right now, the thought of having a conversation where you tell your partner, just because we make out doesn't mean that we're going on to other things. Like I'm allowed to say no, and I'm allowed to hold up that boundary. If that's making you feel like, oh my God, my partner would be so mad at me if I did that Mm -hmm. or be disappointed or would make me feel really guilty that's a really good sign yeah. that I think that you should pay attention to yeah. because we deserve to be in sexual relationship with ourselves and with other people in ways that make us feel good. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, gold right there. Big red flag to look out it, for. And that's that's really hard to do. Like, yeah. I just want to put that out there that you might be identifying that like, oh, I might, I might be in a relationship that doesn't allow me to be fluid and flexible within my own sexuality. And yeah, I just I want you to give yourself some softness in that moment because it's it can be really destabilizing to realize that. And also know that like you are worth that safety yeah. and that softness. Yeah. And also if you're listening to this being like, oh fuck, that's me. Sometimes people haven't approached that conversation. Mm. And sometimes your partner just needs to hear it. That's right. And be told what you do need. Mm-hmm. If then it isn't honored and stuff doesn't change, then that's when you need to start addressing totally. the relationship. Give your partner a chance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, sometimes I, people are dumb and they just need to hear what it is you need. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, having conversations about sex is hard. It's complicated. There's a lot of stuff layered on to sex talk. I mean, I've worked with clients before who have been together with their partner for 20 years and they don't talk about sex. And it's just a thing that they do. You know, it's like, oh, we've known each other. We we know how to do this. We don't have to talk about it. You know? And so I'm like, Let's bring some of that in. Yeah, you know, let's talk grow about and it. change. And mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So everybody knows what foreplay is, obviously, and everyone knows what sex is. But you've talked a lot about is it afterplay? Yeah, that you after call play, it? aftercare. I like afterplay. Yeah, I think oh yeah, aftercare sounds, sounds more like you're like <laughs> taking care of like a wound. But yeah. <laughs> um, so talk to me about what afterplay is. Yeah. So, you know, we're, as you said, familiar with foreplay, the things that happen before you have sex and we have sex. Afterplay is what happens after sex. It is a practice and intention where you don't immediately roll over and go to bed or turn on the TV and tune out. Like you come back together and allow yourselves to decompress to stay connected with each other in that moment. It's also a really great way to if you are someone who has experienced sexual trauma, sexual Mm -hmm. violation in any form, or we're just like sex feels really tender. You know, I've worked with people who have said like, man, every time I have an orgasm, I just want to cry or Every time I have sex, I could have like the best time ever. And then that's when the shame spiral starts, like right after the orgasm, right right after we start. Afterplay is a really great way to take care of yourself with all the emotional turbulence, both the highs and the lows that can come from having sex, because sex is no small thing to do. You know, it's very vulnerable. Yeah, it can bring up a lot of emotions. So afterplay is really, it's not about any particular thing. It's really about an intention that you set to be with yourself and your partner after you have sex, 
rather than being like, okay, we had sex, so I'm gonna go pick up the kids, right. and um, and now I'm now I'm gonna go on my computer. It's like, yeah, stay there, linger there, yeah, be with each other's bodies, talk to each other, hold each other. Those things are really important, and I would say I, I would say that they're like a must have for sexual assault survivors. Yeah, definitely. So let's kind of dig into clients that you've worked with that come from a traumatic past. I had one of my good friends and mentors, uh, Kelly Randis, who wrote this incredible book on surviving sexual assault like her, enchi- or her entire childhood. And one of the questions we got most was like, do you have a healthy sex life? Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, because I can separate that from what happened to me growing up. But I know that's dependent on the person and on the survivor. So what do you find most in cases where there's been a sexual trauma, how does that show up in their current sex life? Mm, They're not having sex Mm. at all. It just, it doesn't feel like a safe space for them to be. Yeah. Even if they're with a partner who is loving and kind, that has been my experience as a sexual violation survivor. Yeah. (laughs) They feel that if they are able to access sex, they're not in the room. So they're completely dissociated from their bodies, sort of going with the motions. I see that as a way of like protecting themselves. Yeah, which is so, God, if you really like think of that, like it's so heartbreaking because that's really what happens during a sexual assault. So it's like they're recreating that trauma for their body each time. Yeah, it's a learned pattern. You know, if, if we have experienced sexual violation and we know like our bodies are very intelligent they know what to do to keep us safe yeah and so and that's that's a familiar pattern that i've seen with people they could be in a very loving relationship but their learned behavior is like oh sex dissociate yeah like i'm it's not safe for me to be here or i'm not allowed to experience this love i'm not Mm. allowed to experience this connection so that's another piece i also have seen folks who have some sort of sexual violation or sexual trauma where they're not able to access their own sexual autonomy and agency. So they're in a relationship or in a sexual interaction and they sort of default into pleasing. Like, Mm. what do you need? I don't need an orgasm. I don't need pleasure. Like, let me serve you. Let me appease and please you. So they sort of collapse into feeling like their wants, needs, desires, and agency within sex isn't important. Got it. That it's not something that they are allowed to access or to even ask for. Yeah. Um, so a lot of clients like that, they don't know how to say yes or no. They don't ha- know how to speak their needs mm. in a sexual relationship because they don't think that they deserve to. Yeah. So those are a few. And how how do you even begin to unpack some of that to trying to lead someone towards a healthy sexual relationship? I mean, I think being able to identify what is your technique or, or what what is your conditioned tendency, I think that that is a really good first step. Like, you know, really asking that folks take a minute to think about their last sexual experience that they had. And particularly if it was a good one, considered good, healthy, like nothing necessarily bad or harmful happened. Think about like what their pattern was, you know, did they feel like it was difficult for them to be present within the sexual interaction? Did they feel like when they were in that sexual interaction, they were like, no, no, you don't have to go down on me. Like, it's totally fine. Did they feel like they were 
yeah, just not able to access, you know, asking for what they want. So I think that identi- like identifying that is really important. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm a huge fan of therapy. Yes, girl, same. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I've been in therapy for many, many years. I think it's really, really important. And so I think that getting into partnership with a therapist who is sex positive because you'd be surprised there are a lot of therapists out there that are not. Mm. Um, so getting getting involved with a therapist who is not only sex positive, but also trauma informed yeah. to help you work through some of those things. I'd also think about, you know, resourcing yourself with some books to get mm-hmm. some language around, you know, what is happening to you. Yeah. Where you might go, honestly, it's like I had a book come to mind and it totally escaped me but there's so many incredible resources out there yeah we had oh my god what's her name she's the author of unfuck your intimacy Mm. um, and unfuck your brain and all the unfuck books she's freaking wonderful uh the fact that i'm spacing on her name is absolutely horrible i'm so sorry (laughs) but unfuck your intimacy was such a, a really good book if you're trying to like unpack trauma to further your sexuality and your intimacy journey. Mm. It's a really good one. Yeah. If if we're in the spirit of giving book recommendations, I can give a couple to people. Come As You Are is an incredible book. I okay, highly... wait, I, just have, I have to know, is it like C-O-M-E or C-U-M? It's C-O-M-E. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Come As You Are. <laughs> Missed uh, opportunity there, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. I would say it's like a book that everybody should read. Mm. I would also add to that list Ace, which which is by Angela Chen. And it is a book about ace experience, but I'm willing to bet that folks who read it will find a lot of reverence and a lot of resonance with the way that compulsory sexuality affects us all, you know, Mm -hmm. puts pressure on us to be someone that we're sexually not. Yeah. So I would recommend that one. And just for the sake, you know, we're talking about trauma a lot here. I will throw in uh, The Politics of Trauma by Mm. Stacey Haynes. Um, That is a really dense read. So I recommend that folks, you know, take their time with it. But it really talks about how trauma affects the body. You know, I think a lot of us think about trauma lives in the mind, but trauma affects the body first and foremost. Like, How can we be in relationship with that and use what we learn within that relationship to heal our relationship with sex? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so as we wrap up, can you give us a couple things and pieces of advice for people who are like, okay, I'm ready to start like getting in touch more with my sensuality and start being more comfortable there. What are some easy practices that they can start doing today? Mm. Besides the pleasure list, because I love that. Yeah. <laughs> pleasure list is great. I would highly recommend that as a practice just for funsies, you yeah. know, to see what comes up. I would recommend that folks find time dur- during their day, throughout their day, to like slow down Mm. and pause and like be with their bodies. So one exercise I give to clients is, and it's so simple, but it's really difficult to do, is lay flat on your back or in a chair and there's no music playing, there's no podcast, there's no TV, nothing. You are just sitting, laying, one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly, and you're just like breathing. Mm -hmm. And like being in that silence and that stillness with yourself. That brings up a lot. And people, I'm sure there are people who are listening. There's like, that sounds scary as fuck. I don't want to do that (laughs) because of what what's going to come up. But I think that if we give ourselves space to pause and slow down, we create a deeper connection with I mean, we create just a connection with our body because a lot of us are walking around not even remembering that we have a body. Right. So anytime that we can slow down and feel into our senses, 
is a really good one. I would also add another practice, which is doing like a census check-in throughout the day. So naming one thing that you see, one thing that you hear, one thing that you're tasting, one thing that you're touching, one thing that you're feeling, like feeling on your skin. I'm missing one. I always miss one. Hearing, tasting, smelling, maybe smelling. So basically going through, right, right. <laughs> going through, it's not even just five, it's actually six because touch and feel is a different one. Yeah. So what are you touching, but also what are you feeling on your own skin? Mm-hmm. Just taking time to just like sit with that, you know, like taking a moment to ground. And that's actually a really great grounding exercise for yeah. those who are anxious or having dissociation, just checking in with each of their senses yeah. can be really good. And then I'm going to do a shameless plug. I yeah. have a book. Um, Please. We were called... going to get into all the where can we find all your yeah. great shit, but yeah, take yeah, us in there yeah. now. <laughs> um, so I have a book. It's called Sensual Self, which is also the title of my podcast. And that book is a guided journal with prompts and exercises mm. to help you work through and connect to your body and your pleasure. Oh, so awesome. um, yeah, it, I wanted to write a book about sensuality that wasn't just about theory, but was actually about like, how can I move my body and embody sensuality? And so, yeah, Sensual Self, you can find that wherever you find books. And you can also listen to my podcast, Sensual Self, which is a great resource for all the things that we've talked about here, which is trauma, gender, asexuality, relationships. There's a lot of fun episodes on there. The episode with my mom is a really great one. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, I've had my mom on here too. It's always cool. like a really fun dynamic when yeah. you can have the two generations kind of come together. <laughs> yeah. It's so cute too. Cause my mom is like, oh, where does, is this the microphone? Do I speak it? <laughs> I and love just that. Like, it's so cute. Oh, it's that's really great. Sweet. And where can everybody find you online and your website? Yeah. Um, you can find me at my name, evianwhitney.com. You can also find me on Instagram at evian.whitney. Those are the only places. I'm, I'm not awesome. on TikTok. I mean, I am on TikTok, but don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't go into that fucking wormhole, please. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. This was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Evian so much for coming on and sharing all of this incredible knowledge today. If you're interested in more information around this, please go check out her pages, her books, her podcast. There's really, really great stuff. She was actually recommended to me to have on the show by one of my FMLers when I knew I wanted to do an episode around sex, but that wasn't so (laughs) raunchy as we've done in the past or like fun and in your face. I wanted to do something that was a little more thoughtful and digging in to what sensuality and sexuality and pleasure really means. And Evian was the absolute perfect human to come on and do that with us. I hope you guys got as much out of this episode as I did. I will see you all next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatpreyfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. 
we will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.